Welcome to the 30th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about the severe outage that Amazon S3 suffered on the 28th of February, what went wrong, and how to protect yourself and your business from these kinds of problems. So, yeah, when uh, basically half of the internet goes down and you're like, wait a minute, what's happening? Yeah, half the internet went down when a single service from a uh, hosting company, and not only just a single service, a single service in a specific region. Although I know that uh, West was affected uh, partially some, some of the time. And so was parts of one of the European regions, I believe. So what happened was that on February 28th at 9.37 in the morning Pacific time, that's 12.37 Eastern time for the one true, one true time zone folks, an authorized S3 team member using an established playbook executed a command which was intended to remove a small number of servers for one of the S3 subsystems that is used by the S3 billing process. Unfortunately, one of the inputs to the command was entered incorrectly and a larger set of servers was removed than intended. I really love Amazon's public statements of how skillfully can we say we screwed up, but we actually didn't do anything. Well, and actually, I have to give them props because they're it. it from the reading, it, it doesn't sound like they're trying to throw the the sysadmin under the bus. Like some places, oh, it's very like, politically correctness. You know, so and so pressed this button and he shouldn't have, and we're gonna do something to him. You know, I mean, it was. But Amazon is is has a. Um, has a history of being very vague with their outages or their outage notifications well, or are taking a while to really admit that an outage is actually in progress. Well, I love the joke that actually became true. That was, you know, the status page is hosted on S3. That's the reason you're not going to get anything. And then it, it turned out it, it really was. and they couldn't, they couldn't update it. But that is true. I mean, there's a lot yeah, of At that point, where, you can't hide the outage. <laughs> Well, I mean, but I mean, there's a lot of times where there is an outage, and Hacker News is like the place to go to find the status for AWS, not the status page for Amazon, but Hacker News or Reddit or a few other places where a lot of a lot of technical people hang out. That's it's where you'll find Amazon. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. my favorite ironic side effect of that day was that Down Detector was down because part of its assets were on S3. So the thing that people go to to see if things are down was down. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Yes, my new site is ironydetector.com. I'll have to check that one out. That's awesome. A quick note, although, about the, the phrasing for the poor sysadmin who actually committed this blunder. I'm glad that Amazon appears to be taking this as a extraordinarily expensive um, learning opportunity for the, for the individual. So instead of firing the person, the person's now been through a really, really public and painful experience that says, this is why you check your inputs. This is why you check your outputs. This is like, all of these things are really important. And you've just learned a really, really awesome lesson that came at great cost. If we fired him or him or her, whoever it is, you're teaching the lesson and then throwing away the whole thing. So it's, it's good that they're trying to phrase carefully so around it. And actual confirmation this person didn't get fired? No, there is not. But the way the posting was written, it sounds very much like they're trying to protect the individual rather than throw them under the bus. Exactly. So the the practical impact of, of this 
this command was that, what, five, six hours? Nothing in U.S. East 1, the Amazon region, you could list it, you could update it, you could delete it, you could create. All of those operations were blocked. And this was of horrors, operations.fm was offline. Yeah. This wasn't just objects. This was also the buckets. Um, I, I know a, an individual who had a piece of code in their app startup that listed a bucket from S3 for asset caching. And of course, when S3 is down, you can't list the buckets, so you couldn't start the app. And that wasn't... Oops. That, that was an oversight that was corrected, but it was one of those like, oh, wow, that's unexpected because S3 is never down. S3 is always available. It's It's been extraordinarily reliable, which is the whole point of it. So when it does when it does drop out, major things start falling off because Reddit and all those people, they have their own servers and their own infrastructure for the most part, or it's on Amazon, but it's, it's all load balanced. But their image assets are cached in S3 because it's the best place to put them. So once you're, whatever you're using for a caching layer, Varnish or CloudFront or Cloudflare or whatever, once those objects expire out of your caching layer, you're done. You, you're done. You can't get to your original assets and now... Your page either takes 10 minutes to load, which means it's broken, or just fails to load, which means it's broken, and you're out of business until Amazon comes back up. Yeah, I guess whatever uh, Voodoo, whatever they had to do to make EBS reliable, I guess some of it had to shift over to S3. Because I was I was shocked that, that, that S3 was down and not EBS. S3 is Amazon's first public service as, as, as part of uh, Amazon Web Services. The U.S. East 1 region is the first one. So if there's any um, technical debt or, or historical infrastructure issues, S3 and U.S. East 1 is where they're going to exist. And I've heard some rumors that that once you see behind the scenes, there is quite a bit of uh, chewing gum and duct tape. And at, as a professional who designs similar scalable systems, uh, similar in heavy air quotes, um, I totally understand. There's there's not a system out there that exists that isn't held together with a large amount of duct tape in places. But it's it's interesting to to hear the rumors and and see the reality. It's also kind of it, it's both awesome and interesting to see that. Amazon uses its own services very heavily for things that may not necessarily even need them, but they dog food their stuff. And so when they have a system outage, it, it affects them. This is not a service that they're offering to other people that they're not using. They're using the same systems that we are in the same cloud that we're using. And some of them, well, a lot of them. And that, that's why when they, they could update their status page because they couldn't get to the bucket to change things. <laughs> <laughs> and that was amazing um, when they finally posted that. There's a the information minister of Iraq. There's a picture of him on, in one of the tweets talking about the the status up, updates, and it was it was brilliant. I'll have, have to dig that up and put it in the show notes because that was that <laughs> actually made me laugh that day. So once all of this was said and done with, and and my personal website was finally back up, um, and I read the postmortem that Amazon posted. The first thing I thought was, well, crap, I've done this exact same thing. My manager at my current position occasionally refers to me as Terminator for no relation to a 
a certain uh, movie character played by a former governor of California. Um, I, once while prototyping some whatever the hell I was working on in an EC2 image, uh, using the Perl script that built and bootstraps and, and tore down and managed our EC2 environment and its configuration, I went to a terminated instance and I had to specify the instance ID and I like switch the S and the T in the word instance and hit enter um, command had no error return like normal um, except that my IRC session went dead um, a couple of boxes I was logged into went dead and all of a sudden uh, my manager and several people in, in operations were screaming because yeah I had hit a bug in in the a Perl script that they use and terminated a whole raft of instances some production I was successful at terminating my instance so uh... I think we've all had those moments in this line of work where you're the reason that things have broken and I don't have any stories that I'm I'm willing to share that come to mind immediately. Oh, come but... on. <laughs> there was also the time I corrupted 30,000 people's home directories in one fell swoop. Oh. Um, that was a fun day. I was actually thinking of a time where I, I'd gone the other direction. I was logged into a workbox remotely because I was trying to get something done with a, with a metrics thing a couple of jobs ago. And my home network naming system was very similar to the one at work. And I was also trying to restart the VM that had my production metric stuff in it for home. My, it gathers my cable modem stats and other silly little crap. And, you know, sudo restart minus R now, or shutdown minus R now, enter. And then hang it, wait, sh- am I on, which box am I on? Oops. Luckily it was on mine and not on, on the remote one, which would have been extraordinarily bad. But that, that's the, that's this problem in reverse where you're, you think you've done the wrong thing for a second and you've discovered that only by, by sheer luck you, you did it in the right place. Um, it makes you be a little more careful with how you color your terminal sessions and how you name things. And Again, the, the years of experience teach you not to be cavalier about some of these things. And it's, it's one of those things. You're not a, a seasoned experienced admin unless you've A, gone through an outage like Amazon and B, caused an outage like Amazon. So, uh, someone, some uh, probably fresh out of college student, uh, earned their system in chops on that fateful February twenty eighth. At least that's the vision now in my head. <laughs> so, what can we do as professionals to protect ourselves from this kind of opportunity? Well, I think Amazon did allude to it in their statement, but I, anytime you're dealing with these kind of tools. Uh, automation tools there needs to be some safeguards in them like uh, especially like if there's like a delete operation uh, and you're doing it across a number of hosts hopefully the tool can calculate you know how many hosts are there there are total and how many hosts are getting ready to do this operation against and if it's over a threshold of you know five or ten percent or something like that just another confirmation like are you sure you're about to do blah would go a long way the first thing that happened after I earned my nickname was that uh, said management tool had a couple lines of code added um, so that its 
uh, default uh, action was not to blindly completely terminate a entire uh, class of EC2 instances. Exactly. I had a coworker a couple of jobs ago who put holodeck safeties into his code. And the idea was if you were going to alter more than 10% of the user entries in an LDAP store, that it required a manual override from an administrator, throw a lock file and wait. And an administrator had to basically say, yes, this is okay, or no, this is not okay, because it only happened a couple times a year, but you didn't want to accidentally wipe out you know, the student table, but you also needed to add new students in the fall when people were joining. So it was, it was a necessary safety with a necessary override, but if you didn't answer it, it just said, nope, I'm not doing anything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off, which was very, very handy. Prevented the destruction of the universe multiple times. And I think of those situations, you know, when automatically managing like a database table. But the same uh, trick, the same technique holds true for really anything that you're automatically managing, whether that's uh, AWS resources, whether that's files on an FTP server, um, database tables, or really anything that you're managing in an automated fashion. How do you protect yourself from your ups own upstream source of truth turning against you? So one of the things that I I try to do is, especially when I'm going to do something that, that's high sensitivity or I don't do very often, is I find somebody who knows how it actually works and say, unambiguously, this is the thing I'm about to do. Do you see any problems with what I'm suggesting? And if they say no, you say, okay, these are the commands I'm going to run in this order. Is this This is the right thing to do. And it's like, Okay, I've, I've been in this field for many, many years. I still will stop and ask people, people who are junior to me by many, many years, but who have experience with the tools that I don't have, and say, no, seriously, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm holding this correctly and I'm not going to blow everything up. And that has saved me innumerable times. And it's an excellent technique for, for passing that knowledge to other people in the company. Yeah, and, and sort of along those lines, I like to sit there and create like a, a run book, so to speak. R- write down all the actions I'm going to do, what I what I expect the you know the return to be, um, you know, just so I can kind of go through step by step and and check it off as I'm doing it, so I don't get lost and just you know just as an also like a double check. Like I try to write out like I have a like MacVim set up, and I just I have all the commands there, and I copy and paste from there, and I, I mark them off as I go through them, and it's just a way to make sure that I don't uh, fat finger something or make a mistake, hopefully. Um, I don't know. I, it's just something I've always done, and I, I like doing it. Yeah, especially because a lot of these commands are really long when you get into the weeds of these systems, and if you miss an operator or you mis- mistype something as you're going through, it can be really awful. So, yeah, it, I... I'm with you on that entirely. I I like to print out all of my the commands I'm going to run so I have them and I can go, okay, this is exactly what I'm doing. Look over it for correctness. Make sure I'm using the right permissions and the right groups and whatever else I need. Um, it's really helpful. So the real question that this outage uh, brings up for me is that you know, AWS surely isn't going away. I rather enjoy working with AWS. That's one, really one of my preferred environments. Um, if I could never work with another piece of actual hardware in my life, that would make me a happy man. 
Um, and as you get, as you've built your uh, uh, services, an empire on top of AWS, it's not as trivial as one might hope to just decide that I'm moving to, to the Google Compute Cloud today instead. Um, so being able to handle outages in AWS or ha- outages in Azure or outages in GCS really is is something that you need to plan for just like you raid hard drives in bare metal machines because you know those hard drives are going to fail. You at least know that they're probably not going to fail at the exact same time, mostly, knock on wood. Um, and what I really enjoy doing is running static websites in S3. They're cheap. Um, there's some great templating engines like uh, Hugo that I use a lot. Um, it's very much how the operations.fm website is built. And uh, use Discuss for comments. And it really turns a what I used to run on WordPress into a site that costs me five or ten cents a month to run. So that's super awesome and definitely a winning factor. You can do similar things with um, Google's cloud storage, um, and I'm sure any of the S3 likes out there as well. But the issue is that um, they serve static websites um, and uh, via some load balanced VIPs, and when they get an HTTP request, they look at the host header in that HTTP request and figure out, well, if I'm getting a request for this host, that means I need to find a matching bucket name to route that request to. So the question becomes, if we want to have operations.fm up during these kinds of outages, how do we do it? We can only have one bucket in Amazon's S3 that's operations.fm. Um, our uh, domain C name will only end up routing to that one bucket wherever that bucket lives globally. It just happens to be in US East 1. Um, and even using uh, Amazon's own uh, Route 53 DNS services, it's all but impossible to load balance between buckets in different physical locations. Um, again, because it parses the host header when it serves an HTTP request. Um, I like to use Cloudflare's DNS because their DNS is really awesome. Uh, still, same problem, though. Even though Cloudflare is doing proxying for me, I can't load balance between multiple S3 buckets. Uh, Amazon's CloudFront CDN service is the closest possible solution I see and basically allows you to set up uh, multiple uh, origins um, to serve a domain, which you can at least point at different S3 buckets. But if your uh, primary bucket serving your web content goes down and your website goes down, it's still a manual change or a change you have to have a cron job watching AWS uh, APIs to detect and act upon. And if you're um, going to do a manual change, you may as well just copy your stuff into multiple buckets across the world and then use short TTL records in your DNS and then just change your DNS entry. And well, that that's it. You can't stuff. change your DNS entry because you can't create multiple buckets that are the same name. And I've... 
this is what I've been trying to figure out what to do for the last uh, couple of weeks, really, is how do you load balance a website uh, over multiple S3 buckets? And about really the only thing I can figure out how to do is use multiple services and manually update your DNS. To point, Oh, I'm pointing to Google today. So that's kind of been my pet peeve. There's there's lots of other ways to get around the situation. Um, you know, there's running a website through a, a, an elastic load balancer, um, routing that through some HA proxy machines that figure out where to get your resources from. There's definitely other ways to build a web infrastructure um, that's more reliable or more resilient to these kinds of failures. But um, you know, for my personal stuff, I just kind of want to stick it in S3 and, and be relatively inexpensive about it. I'd rather not spend uh, 20, 40, 50 bucks a month on AWS infrastructure that that little website doesn't need. Well, also there's just the complexity for when you there isn't an outage, suddenly you have all this extra stack to manage and to think about and keep going. Yep. I was really hoping you were coming to this because of the show notes with... Um, with a solution. I thought you had a... With a solution to that? Yeah. yeah I've been trying to figure it out. And, uh, I mean, Google's uh, cloud storage is the same thing. Uh, when it services an HTTP request, how does it know what bucket to serve? The only thing it's really got is the host header. I mean, you can't inject another key because it's remote clients that are doing the request. And the namespace is global. So yeah, don't get me wrong. I usually well enjoy uh, AWS and similar services. Um, they're great building blocks, but they're as imperfect as you and I are. And I've heard lots of arguments of why move to S3 or AWS because some friend of mine has had such a horrible experience. And it's a fact of life. Failure happens. And that's why they uh, we uh, get paid so well, right? <laughs> so when failure happens, we can post funny cat pictures on the internet. Yes. <laughs> Jared, did you want to talk about the GitLab postmortem or not? Well, I, 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 all I wanted to mention there was that's another, I mean, uh, first off, another that's really off major to, outage that happened. Yeah, well, that, that, that was a major outage. Um, GitLab had a major database outage, what was it, in January, February, February. Um, where basically they were uh, trying to set up a staging environment. Uh, something happened to their main production sites, and they kind of switched gears. And and basically they were, it all revolved around backups. Uh, they were trying to take a a backup of their production instance uh, to set up another slave or another redundant um, Postgres um, read only instance. The backup messed up. The PG dump messed up, and so they. Uh, they started to revert to backups and all of their backups were bad or, or not tested. Um, luckily, I think they ended up finding one that was like uh, a day old or six hours old or something like that. So they they did lose some data, um, but luckily not all of it. Uh, and, and I just thought it was more of an, an important, again, you know, backups aren't backups until you test them. And uh, I do have to say hats off to GitLab. I mean, they were very open. I mean, m probably the, the most open I've ever seen 
a uh, company or project be when it comes to an outage? I mean, they were they had timelines of everything, what the operator was thinking, what commands they were debating to run, and, and what they actually did run. Uh, so it, it was a very uh, insightful post-mortem, but still almost one that could have been avoided if someone had tested backups. The GitLab um, outage was very similar in magnitude to the S3 outage. Their site was down for hours. Um, but the way they handled themselves in a public-facing professional manner, uh, that that is how you monitor or model your uh, public relations when you have an outage. Um, very timely updates, and the postmortem was was a model of what postmortem should be. Um, and from Amazon, where you get two sentences, um, we got multiple pages of this is exactly what happened. This is what we learned. This is what we're doing better. Um, so really, uh, my hat goes off to the GitLab folks. Uh, they run a good shop and have good people, and they really care about their customers. Yep. And it's another great example of plan for failure because it will happen and if you know if you have a plan for what happens when things break and you don't start panicking you can make intelligent decisions to start recovering and not just run around screaming so yes that was it was good of them to both handle it professionally and then afterwards there's a write-up that jared you shared that has all of the steps in it of what they were doing, what they were thinking, and they made that public. So anybody can go look at it, and that's just icing on the cake. It's great. And not only is it a learning experience for them, but it's a learning experience for anyone who reads their postmortem. Please take the time to rate the show on iTunes. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave a comment on the website at hdpoperation.fm. Send us your thoughts on email at feedback at operations.fm or use operations.fm on Twitter. That wraps it up for the 30th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. We have been Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks and good night. And if you knew how to run an S3 website, leave it in the comments.